they finally set the day. I would fight Chris Martel on June 2nd. Martel was immediately posting about the fight online, talking about how he was going to wipe the floor with me, which always struck me as a weird idiom. If Martel was trying to come across as high status, I don't know why he'd want people to imagine him mopping. I didn't respond to Martel's goading. I'd already mapped out my own campaign of psychological warfare, and it certainly didn't involve trading schoolyard insults on boxing message boards. No, I'd come up with a strategy of psychological domination unlike anything anyone had ever seen in boxing before. Worse than when Barry Livingsgrove paid hackers to dox Michael Bennington. More elaborate than Garth Nightwar buying every seat in Jack's stadium so his fight against Bo Tangorian was in complete silence. More fiendish even than Amar Janya getting plastic surgery to look like Colin Rousefelt's dad. No. My method of psychological domination would be more horrific than all of those put together. More impressive, it would be completely invisible. Apart from Martel himself, no one else would even know the psychological attack had happened. It was genius. I was going to go back in time, probably 13, 14 years and I was going to scare the shit out of Martel when he was still a kid. Then, when we finally faced off on June 22nd for the Luggies IBT Super Middleweight title, all I'd have to do is remind Martel of that childhood trauma and watch his tiny mind unravel right there in the ring. He would look at my face, then... Remembered the face of that horrible man who scared the life out of him back when he was eight years old. Then he would look at my face again, the pieces slowly falling into place, to discover seconds before the bell that your opponent had time travel capability. <laughs> Martel would shit his nuts. As far as Martel knew, I could have been messing with him his entire life. I could have manipulated every moment of his existence to get him into the ring with me. In fact, as far as Martel knew, I could be groundhogging the whole fight. I could be on my 50th, my 100th time through the same bout, perfecting every millisecond of my game, dominating every possible outcome. Not that I would actually be bothered to do that. I mean, the fight itself, I was only going to fight that at one time, and I was going to fight it fair too. I wouldn't use time travel to cheat. Because that's the thing, you don't need to. Boxing is 99% getting into your opponent's head. Once your opponent knows you own a time machine, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all the leverage you need.
I bought the machine after making out in my last bout with Bill Factory Lemoy. That eighth round knockout netted me a tidy sum. That plus my sponsorship deal plus my uncle's inheritance. Obviously, it was black market. Me and my agent had to go to this hotel down in Cornwall to collect it. It looked like a silver sleeping bag with a vacuum attached to it. The kid who sold it to us was pretty chill about the do's and don'ts. Do whatever you want with it, said the kid. Have a laugh, go crazy. What about changing things, said my agent. (sighs) Yeah, said the kid. Well, that really matters. If you make it so, you know, Russia were the first guys on the moon. Or you make it so Bob Dylan was never born. For everyone else, that new reality is just going to feel like... That's the way it's always been. We're not going to miss Bob Dylan. We never heard of Bob Dylan because he never existed. You are going to be the only one who remembers how things were before. So what does it matter? My agent finished counting out the money. Not a Dylan fan, huh? Meh, said the kid. I just won't miss what never existed. Okay, I said, but what if I definitely make a mistake? Like, what if I uninvented ice cream or... I hit Walt Disney with my car. The kid was so calm, it was beautiful. He'd have made a good boxer. He had that mind over matter type thing. Well, he said, you get back from your journey and you don't like the new future you've made, you can just go straight back and undo it, right? Benefits having a time machine. Reality is plastic. Nothing is forever anymore. Well, I said, when you put it like that, I guess time travel isn't such a big deal after all. The kid stopped packing the machine into its flight case. Only thing you gotta watch out for, he said, is that you don't mess with the timeline so much that time travel itself no longer gets invented. Because then all time machines vanish, right? So that's the one change that can't be undone. But don't worry, we got a hack for that. The kid asked me to get out my phone and download an audiobook. The autobiographical bestseller What Is Time by Dr. Phil Reynolds. The cover image was a young man who looked like he'd been posing giving a thumbs up for an awkward length of time. Under the image it said, The inventor of time travel tells all. Actually, I've been meaning to read this, I said. Look at the length of the audiobook, said the kid. Six hours, 32 minutes, 10 seconds. Six, three, two, one, zero. Whenever you make a trip, just keep one eye on the length of that book, yeah? If you notice that book getting longer or shorter, then you know that whatever you're doing in the past somehow, in some way, is messing with the basics of time travel, right? So if you see that happening, stop whatever you're doing and come back. Maybe drop me a courtesy call to let me know, okay? This was the only moment I saw any vulnerability in the kid. I'm in that book too, he said. Chapter 12. After the kid left, my agent pocketed the biscuits from the nightstand. Promise me, he said, you won't erase Bob Dylan. Who's Bob Dylan, I said. Very funny, he said. Two weeks passed. 
Not that measuring things in time was as easy for me as it used to be. I tested the machine a couple of times, just to get a feel for it. I did a quick zap back to the previous evening and followed myself to a bar. I kept my distance and made sure not to interact. Maybe people thought I was identical twins or something. I left the bar early and zapped myself back to tomorrow so I'd have my own bed to sleep in. I also wanted to go back to 2016 to eat a steak sandwich at Roland's Cafe at King's Cross. But when I got there, I didn't have the right currency and my bank card didn't work. So instead, I just wandered around the streets and had a good laugh at the clothes. The machine packs away pretty small so I could carry it with me in a bag. I thought about doing a pass of my brother's house. I didn't in the end. It was too far on foot anyway. Without access to money, past felt hostile. I was back there, but at the same time, I wasn't. I was still locked out somehow. I started to get this feeling. It was like an itch in my brain. This voice saying, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be here. <clears throat> Being a boxer though, you need to learn how to put your walls up. It's the only way you can get into the ring in the first place. You've got to learn how to turn down the voices. Boxers confront reality every time we fight. We force our reality onto our opponents. We travel in a bubble of our own meaning. Really, if anyone has the constitution for time travel, it's boxers. I recited the names and results of my last 12 fights until the outside world felt no longer important to me. Then I went back to Roland's cafe, ate a steak sandwich and walked out without paying. By the time anyone had even noticed a customer had run on the bill, I was back in the year 2028. I paid a PI to do some research on Martel. She came back with a stack of school documents, teacher evaluations, report cards. Based on the information in the file, I decided that I would travel back to May 23rd, 2014 and confront Martel just after his eighth birthday. Martel grew up in Liverpool. It made sense to do the bulk of the traveling before the time jump. I drove to the city, Rented a hotel room, making sure the hotel still existed back in 2014. Then laid the sleeping bag out on the floor and set the date. I got into the bag, pulled it over my head. The room was decorated differently back in 2014, though the basic fixtures and fittings were the same. The TV set was about half the size. Thankfully, there was no one using the room. I was half expecting to dash out the door. Instead, I stayed and watched some 2014 British TV. Yeah, but I like that a little bit more. Do you? Yeah, 
some kind of game show about the price of antiques? Uh, I think that's going to make between sort of 20 and 40 pounds. I took the biscuits off the nightstand, packed the machine into my bag and slipped out the hotel. It was about a 40 minute walk from the hotel to Martel's school. A quick hike from the edge of town into the suburbs. As I walked, I pulled out my phone and checked the audiobook. Six hours, 32 minutes, 10 seconds, just as it should be. I put in my headphones. With the amount of conflicting beliefs and opinions in this country at the moment, I'm surprised people continue to agree on what time it is. Even billionaires set their watches to the same time as me. I am surprised gangsters and murderers subscribe to the same time and number package that I do. Makes them seem a bit wet and conscientious. Even if you're robbing a bank, you've got to say what time you're going to meet. Comfortable with committing crime, but not individual or powerful enough in spirit to commit to their own autonomy and set their watches to a different time. They'll take the law into their own hands, but the wrist of a criminal is firmly gripped by the hands of time, just like everyone else's. People say there's just not enough hours in the day. Why don't we change it? Put some more in if we need them so badly. What are we scared? It helped to listen to Dr. Reynolds. It was like having my coach's voice in my ear, someone who could keep me focused, who could remind me of my purpose. It didn't matter if it was 2028 or 2014, the game was the same. The only difference was today, I was scaring an eight-year-old kid, not beating the tar out of his 22-year-old counterpart, but in all other respects, the game was the same. By the time I reached Martel's school, it was just past lunch. I did a quick case of the playground, but there was no sign of my opponent. I backed off to a nearby park and waited to make my move. In about six hours time, Martel would be performing on stage in his school play. Not only did I know exactly where he was going to be, but I had opportunity to humiliate him in front of an entire room full of people. When I triggered the same memory in Martel 14 years later, in the Luggies IBT super middleweight title match, Martel would be immediately taken back to the horrified faces of his parents and a room full of scornful laughter. All I had to do was sit in the audience of the play and wait until eight-year-old Chris Martel appeared and delivered his first line of dialogue. Then I would stand up push my way onto the stage yelling, Chris Martel, please accept this most humble gift. And then I would look Martel right in the eyes, crouch down, unfasten my trousers and empty my bowels onto the stage before him. I've had a lot of smart ideas over the course of my life. You don't get to be as rich as me without knowing the difference between a good idea and a bad one. You also don't get to be as rich as me by living life in half measures. When the chips are down, 
you have to be prepared to go all the way. Going back in time to defecate on the stage of a school play in order to psychologically scar a child who would eventually become my boxing opponent. The psychic damage of my attack would ripple through his entire life. Once we faced off in the ring as men, all I would have to do is lean in and say, Chris Martel, please accept this most humble gift. And boom, Martel would be shook in a way that no boxer had ever been shook before. He may be younger than me, he may have a stronger left hook, but there was no way he was keeping up his 100% knockout record once he knew what I was capable of. I felt a knot growing in my stomach. I decided to take a light run around the edge of the park and recited my workout mantra. Invincible, I rasped. Invincible, invincible. Then I punched a tree a couple of times. I never got nervous before a fight, not ever. I couldn't understand why this was any different. Shitting on a stage of a kid's play was a cakewalk compared to stepping into the ring with Iron Doug Sherman or going 12 rounds with Carl Iceberg Wilson. Come on. So why was my hand shaking? I punched the tree a couple of times more. Believe in yourself. Yeah. It wasn't enough. I needed more. I needed to show 2014 who the fuck I was. Next thing I knew, I was in a phone box calling 999. Please, I need help. I called an ambulance and sent it to a random address in the city. Boom. Fuck you, 2014. I just changed history. I stuck my fist in the timeline and smashed it like a ledge. That ambulance was meant to be somewhere else right now. Maybe that means someone dies. Maybe that means someone lives. Maybe there was a relative that was meant to move house. Maybe that relative no longer moves house. Maybe there was a sibling that was meant to fall in love. Maybe they no longer fall in love. Maybe there was a child that was meant to be born, no longer gets born. Boom. I didn't even break a sweat. Talk about a heavy hitter. By the time I walked back to the school, it was dark on every street. School looked so different in the darkness. Lanterns led the way across the playground as perfumed parents walked arm in arm into the warm glow of the lobby. Welcome, said a young woman with a blonde bob. Thank you, I said. What a lovely school my child goes to. The school hall had a capacity of around 60 seated. I hadn't boxed for a crowd this small since I was a teenager. I took a seat in the front row centre. My feet were practically on stage already. I could feel the timeline changing around me, the world adapting to my touch. I was a saboteur loose in the factory and the fun had barely begun. 
The school hall clearly doubled as the gymnasium. They probably had mats and frames and stuff locked in a storage cupboard. I wonder if they taught the young ones to box. Maybe Martel was already throwing punches, even at eight. Maybe he'd try to crack me when I got on stage. I'd like to see him try, I said out loud to myself. Sorry, said the parent next to me, but the house lights were already fading. A smoke machine began to whir in the wings. Two eight-year-olds in top hats stepped onto the stage into a low bank of fog. Well, my brother, it seems like another cold night in London, said one child. It is that, said the other. Come, Sylvester, he continued. We should be celebrating your new fortune. After all, one doesn't become engaged to the Countess of Chester every day. <coughs> I am indeed blessed, said Sylvester. And I shall not forget you, Gerald. I shall ensure that you and Gwendolyn are cared for. I know her health has waned since you lost your job at the patent office. No more talk of strife, said Gerald. From the front row, I could see that his moustache was drawn on with an eyebrow pencil. Let us go to my gentleman's club, said Gerald, and raise a glass of sherry to Queen Victoria. I feel the year 1882 is going to be simply marvellous. The stage went dark. Terrifying music burst forth from the PA as the play changed scenes. We were now looking into the elegant smoking room of a Victorian gentleman's club. Slightly older kids and black leotards clicked the walls into position, then scampered from the stage, hissing like demons. It was a nice touch. In the gentleman's club, we met several more characters. Bertie, a gambling addict with a nervous twitch. Dr. Klaus, a professor of Egyptology and the soft-spoken octogenarian, Sir Benedict. All three played by eight-year-old girls. There was no sign yet of Martel. I dug my keys into my leg to keep me focused. As soon as that nasty bastard appeared, I would be ready for him. The plot advanced at a clip. Sylvester, the soon-to-be new Earl of Chester drunkenly agreed to a trip to the new circus show at the West Kensington Olympia. Cue another terrifying set change. As well as the appearance on stage of several pieces of circus apparatus, including a magician's vanishing box. The friends from the gentleman's club took their seats for the circus show. Dr. Klaus noted the unusual pictograms that adorned the circus, reminiscent of Apep, the snake of chaos. When a volunteer was needed from the audience for a magic trick, the spotlight landed on Sylvester's seat. Sylvester climbed into the vanishing box, but rather than being disappeared by the magician, the box opened to reveal... Sylvester's corpse, covered in gooey, almost luminescent blood. I could feel every parent in the school hall clutching the arm of their loved one. At that moment, a young boy slowly entered from the back of the stage, displaying the most elaborately drawn-on moustache the play had seen yet. Instantly, I knew it was Martel, my opponent 
was making his ring walk. My name is Detective Thelonious Dubois of Scotland Yard, said Martel, his voice like a ploughed field after a storm. Martel raised his cane to the body lying before him. A man has been murdered. A trick has turned foul. Clearly, within this circus tonight, there is more than one magician. Martel looked out across the audience. No one leaves until the murderer is in the hands of the police. I knew that this was my moment. It was time for a performance of absolute power. If I was going to take control, if I was going to destroy Martel, it had to happen now. 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 From the stands, said Martel. I have been watching and I have been listening. You might not have noticed old Thelonious Dubois, but he has noticed you. He has seen the games you have played. Somehow I felt as if Martel was expecting me, as if he was willing me to do it. After all, if I stood now, wouldn't I be confessing to the murder? Uh, except there was no murder. What am I saying? You can't murder someone that doesn't exist. Martel was gathering the suspect center stage. Many had motive, said Martel, but only one person here was ruthless enough to put such a diabolical plan into action. I had stood up. My shadow stretched across the stage. A column of darkness. Next thing I knew, I was staggering through the corridors of a school. Then, I was standing in the playground. Then, I was sitting on the low wall of a rose-lined street, my head in my hands. Before long, I heard the sound of footsteps. Parents walking home, their child still in costume by their side, all of them silhouetted in the amber streetlight. I looked to see if Chris Martel was among them, but there were far too many, their faces in almost shadow. It was then that I realised I'd lost my bag with the time machine in it. I thought perhaps I'd left it beneath my seat in the play. I walked back to the school, but the gates were already locked. I checked the length of the audiobook. It was longer than before. Seven hours, 29 minutes, 42 seconds, 72942. I decided to check the park I'd been waiting in earlier. There was nothing on the bench where I'd been sitting. 
nor by the tree I'd been punching. I looked across the road to the phone box I'd used earlier. I decided to take a stroll and see where it took me. The air was warm. Children's voices carried on the breeze. If I had irreparably changed the future, no one would know but me anyway. No one could grieve that which had never happened. The audiobook was now 167 hours long. 1675276. I checked the recording. We're the only ones who are worried about what time it is. The wind doesn't know what day it is. It probably thinks it's its birthday today. Take its cake outside and watch it blow out the candles. I scrubbed forward a few chapters. Nothing ripens a banana as quickly as a rucksack. Dr. Reynolds was still theorizing on time, but he seemed slightly different now. I wish my days weren't numbered, but then I wouldn't know when my mum's birthday is. I'd have to guess. Is it your birthday today, Mum? I don't know. Well, shall we celebrate the fact that you're alive today? Yeah, all right. If it was just me living here on Earth, I'm glad it isn't. But if it was, I don't know if I would bother with time. I wouldn't need to know. Time is for when there is more than one person. Like now. We all need to know when this is gonna f I looked down at my phone. The audiobook had disappeared completely. The moon above me was full and yellow like a doubloon. There was a beautiful smell in the air, like honeysuckle. I realized I had walked into a graveyard. Funny, I thought to myself. I never did find out who the murderer was. So, that is the end of another episode of Imaginary Advice. I'd just like to say a huge thank you to everyone who has supported the show through Patreon. Um, the only reason this show can be made is because of your support, so thank you, thank you. If you don't currently support the show, but fancy kicking in a small monthly donation to help me keep the lights on, uh, you can get the full information at patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash ross g sutherland the voice of dr phil reynolds was the poet rob orton in fact all of his sections were taken from rob's latest one-man show the time show which will be touring the uk shortly you can go to rob orton that's R-O-B-A-U-T-O-N 
www.co.uk for all the latest on uh, Rob's uh, live work. He's a phenomenal writer, poet, comedian, artist. I'm really pleased that that I got to work with him on this episode. Uh, The way it came about, I recorded Rob reading those extracts in the corner of a pub uh, during the Edinburgh Fringe this past August. And at the time, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do with them. I didn't know how it was going to get incorporated into an episode. And sadly, because it's the fringe and there's a lot of noise around me, um, my recording just wasn't particularly good. So I came up with the audiobook idea as a way to include the recording whilst still having a license to filter the fuck out of it. And I thought I was being quite original until I sat down started watching season three of the tv show legion a couple of days ago which literally contains a time traveler who listens to an audiobook about time travel so super original uh concept from me there however legion doesn't contain a boxer going back in time to shit on the stage of a school play though so still feel like i'm putting my stamp on it anyway thanks again to um the incomparable rob orton my name is ross sutherland I'll be back soon with more imaginary advice. Thanks for listening.